This past Shabbat, I spoke like I do every other week in Sharet Tzion during Sudash Lishit. I did and myself switch off. So this past Saturday night, I spoke in Sharet Tzion. And after the speech was over, after our view was over, and you know, like, it's a little scary to speak there sometimes. Like, it's a full room, upstairs, downstairs, a little intimidating. A man comes over to me after the speech, standing on the stage, and he tells me, Rabbi, your speech tonight was terrible. It's like, wow, okay, thanks. He says, no, you don't understand. It was really bad. What, 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 you know, what, what exactly? He says, you don't understand. What? The mood you put everybody into about Hanukkah. And he says, and not just that. He says, you went from thing to thing to thing. No one understands. These are simple people. They don't understand what you're talking about. And as he's talking to me, People are coming over and saying, Rabbi, great speech. Rabbi, great speech. See, he says, you see people, they're just like sheep. They don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> okay, I got it, I got it. He kept going on and on. He says, I heard about you from my kids, but I'm telling you, people won't really tell you the truth. I'm telling you the truth. How am I supposed to react to that guy? After I punch him in the face, then what should I do next? <laughs> what am I supposed to re- How am I supposed to react? So a man, I mean, he really wouldn't let down, like, he just kept going and going. How am I supposed to react to a person like that? What supposed to do, give him a hug? No, no chance. <laughs> Still be positive? How can I be positive? I'm supposed to, like, like the guy? Give him a Hanukkah gift? What do you... That's his opinion. It was a very nice way of giving his opinion. Wow. Wow, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, wow. So there's like, I don't know how many people in this room and you're telling me I just totally made a total fool out of myself. Great. I'm going to tell you how I think I should have reacted. Okay? But I need a little time to get there. You're curious, right? No, I couldn't care less. Kids. Okay. This week's parasha is parashat Vayigash. Vayigash may be the most emotional parasha in the entire Torah. You'll remember it when I describe it a little. It's finally Yosef tells his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef, Ha'od Avichai is my father still alive. And he reveals himself to his brothers and they cry and they hug and they finally, after over 20 years, they unite. What I'm going to focus on is the conversation that they had following this revelation, following his revealing himself of what he is and who he is, what they discussed afterwards. Most people don't really know what exactly they said and what they were trying to say. Yosef told his brothers, he said, don't worry, Hashem sent me here, and don't get upset, and don't become depressed. And then he and his brother Binyamin hugged and cried on each other's shoulder. And Rashi says, why they cry? Rashi says that Binyamin, Yosef cried on the shoulder of Binyamin because 
the first and second Beit HaMikdash would be built in Benjamin's portion in Israel and they would eventually be destroyed. And so Yosef was crying over the destruction of the first and second Beit HaMikdash. And then Benjamin cried on Yosef's shoulder because Yosef would have the Mishkan would be in his portion and that would also one day be destroyed. And so that's why Benjamin cried on his shoulder. Now does this come off as strange to you or not? They haven't seen each other in 20 years. They're crying. Why can't you just say they're crying because they missed each other? But no. Now she says they're crying. He's crying over the two Beit HaMikdash. He's crying over the Mishkan. They're crying over each other. It's going to happen in hundreds or thousands of years from now. Why is this some, why are they crying about it now? What does it have to do with anything? Crying over the Beit HaMikdash? I mean, what's wrong with the simple thing? He cried because they were emotional. They missed each other. And then the conversation continues. And Yosef then tells them that, you know, now it's time for you and our father to come back, come down to Egypt. And he says, we'll take care of you, we'll set you up over here, we'll give you to eat and we'll give you to drink and we'll support you because, you know, there's no food around because there's a famine. And he puts them in wagons. He sends them with the pasuk, calls them agalot, which are wagons. And again, Rashi says, why did he send them in wagons? Because Yosef was sending a message to his father about the last thing that they had learned together. And the last thing they learned together 20 years earlier was something about egla arufa, which isn't, it's like about a calf. And he's mentioning that law that we learned together, so he sends Agala, which is a wagon to remind of the Agla Arufa, to remind him of the law. Again, a little strange. You expect the father to really pick up on this hint. It's not even the same thing. What's the idea? What's the plan? And then Yosef tells his brothers as they're about to leave, he says, Al Tirgizu Badarech. Don't fight on the road. And Rashi says, what is it really teaching them? He's trying to teach them, don't discuss Torah and don't decide a Torah law while you're traveling. And some say it means don't walk with big steps when you're traveling. I don't know if you or is it just me, but I feel like I don't get what's happening here. Why they're crying over the Beit HaMikdash. Why are you sending a wagon that's supposed to remind me of Agala, that's supposed to remind me of this law? How is it really supposed to remind Yaakov? It's not even the same thing, it's just the same word. And then you're telling me that he tells them, he's giving them instructions, and the instructions are don't decide halakha laws on the way. What exactly is happening? So I'm going to try to explain it. What I want to discuss today, and I'll get back to that man's comment in a while, is, I don't know if we appreciate fully the power of small things. And I'll give you an example. This example I've used many, many times. So if you heard it from me, it's okay. But I just want to, it, it just, there's nothing that brings out the point like this. Do you know what would happen if you took a piece of paper and folded it once? What would you have? If you took a paper, fold it once, what do you have? Yeah. Two papers, good. How high is it? I don't even know. How about if you took a paper and folded it 50 times? How high would it be? 
How high would the paper be? Higher. Thank you. Come on, give me a little better than that. This thick? An inch. How high would it be if you folded a piece of paper 50 times? Does anyone here know the answer? Anyone here ever heard of it? Oh, good. So I, you don't remember it. Good. So if you know it, don't say. How many, how high would the paper be if you folded a piece of paper 50 times? Yeah, I got an inch. Is that what I got? Anyone want to go a little, do I have a higher bit? Anybody? What? 50 times higher. So this times 50 times. So about 50 times nothing like that. Anyone want to go a little higher? 100 times higher. So you're going to go like this. Anyone want to give me any? Do I have any higher bids? Does anyone want to go higher? What? There you go. The answer is, it would be from here to the moon. Yeah. From here to the moon. What am I talking about, right? Let me explain. Because if you fold it like this once, it's two pages. If you fold it twice, it's four. Okay, keep track. You fold it three times, it's eight. Fold it four times, 16. Five times, 32. Six times, 64. Seven times, where are we at? Do the math. 128. Okay? 128, we only did seven times. Eight times is about 300. 256, excuse me, 256. That's eight times. Nine times, we're at 500. Let's go with 500, okay? Ten times is 1,000. 2,000, 4,000, 8,000, 16,000, 32,000, 64,000. Are you with me? 128,000, 250,000, 500,000, a million, two million, four million, until it goes into the billions and the trillions and trillions and trillions. If you just fold it 50 times. You can't try it because the page won't fold anymore. But it would really go from here to the moon. And if you folded it 51 times, it would go to the moon and back. What we don't realize is how powerful a small little thing can be. And how much it can grow. I want to tell you over the story of Yosef in its simplest form. With no Midrashim and no Chidushim, the simplest form. What is the story of Yosef? Yosef was a young boy who was born to his mother Rachel, who his father loved. And finally born after many years, Yosef, his father, took care of him and, and, and he loved him more, or he studied with him more and gave him a, a piece of clothing, that a extra coat that no one else had. And then Yosef had this young boy, 17-year-old, had dreams. And he told his brothers and his father the dreams. And they were jealous of his dreams until one day he was out in the field. You're following the story? He's out in the field. They saw him coming. They said, let's kill him. They decided, they changed their mind. They said, we're not going to kill him. We'll throw him in a ditch. Then they decided to sell him to slavery. He was sold from one group to another group until he ended up in this man's house. He was accused of doing something improper with the man's wife. He was thrown into jail. He was in jail for many years. He interpreted two people's dreams in the jail. He was then came, Paro had dreams, needed an interpreter. Yosef stood before Paro, interpreted the dreams, became second in command, took care of the whole, the whole world in terms of food, and then his brothers had to come down to get food from him. He brought, they came down to Egypt. Then the rest of the family came down. Then the Jewish people were in Egypt for 210 years. And then they finally left. 
And then they were in the desert for 40 years and they entered into Eretz Israel. Is that the story? That's right, that is the story. That really is the story. Now picture that story of Yosef when he had the dreams. Instead decided, instead decided, you know what, I'm not going to tell my brothers, I'm just going to tell my father. What would the story have been? Nothing. He would have gone home, came back, no sale, no slavery, no ditch, no Egypt, no famine, no 210 years, nothing. If he simply did not tell his brothers the dream and only told his father the dream. Sometimes you don't realize how powerful a small thing can be. And you don't underappreciate the impact that what really can happen with the smallest of things. You know right now, in the Middle East, there's something going on called the Arab Spring. Are we familiar with this, the Arab Spring? What the Arab Spring basically is, is that basically, over the course of the past year, there's been, and I have the list of the countries here, that there's been basically unrest, protests, governments have been toppled, in, and civil war in places like Tunisia, Egypt, uh, Bahrain, Syria, Yemen, Morocco, Jordan, Iraq, Algeria, Kuwait, um, uh, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, all these countries, Libya, all these countries have been total unrest from something called the Arab Spring. Do you know how it began? On December 18, 2010, which is a little over a year ago, there was a police officer who went to a man or a man who was selling something and he made some law, he bothered him. The man was so frustrated with the government. Okay, his name was Mohammed. I can't say his last name. I can't pronounce it. The man went and burnt himself. And from that started protest after protest after protest that turned a whole continent upside down. Thousands of people have died. People have, lives have changed. Governments have toppled. Total chaos in the Middle East over the past 12 months. And it began with one man doing one act. You don't realize and don't appreciate how powerful small things can be. You think you're just folding a piece of paper. You do it enough times, it reaches the moon. Yosef thought he just told his brothers the dreams. He didn't realize he changed the course of history for the next 250 years. 250 years. Simply by telling his brothers his dream. Let me give you a law that we have in the Torah. And again... We'll try to make the same point. Now this law, the 613 mitzvot in the Torah, this law is probably up there as maybe the top five most hardest or strangest sounding of the 613 mitzvot. If it's not the top one, it's definitely in the top five. That's the mitzvah called Egla Arufa. Let me tell you what Egla Arufa is. Okay, it's a law in the book of Devarim. Is if you found, if they would find a dead body between two cities, 
So let's say it's two cities about a mile apart. And in between the two cities in the forest, they find a dead body. They don't know what, how. Someone killed them. We don't know who. The people of the city would go and measure and see which city it's closer to. So if it's three quarters of a mile away from one and a quarter of a mile away from the other, so then the second town, second city is considered responsible. The rabbis of the city, and again, this is all in clear Pesukim and Devarim, the rabbis of the city, the leaders of the city, would then go and take a young calf, an egel, a young calf, and they would go to a stream and crack its neck and say, we had nothing to do with that murder. That's the halacha. You ever hear this? No. You ever heard of it? Do I agree? Does it sound like one of the top five hardest to understand? I don't even have to ask the questions. You're asking the questions yourself. What does it mean? Why are we measuring? Why the leader is cracking the neck? Why at a stream? What are they trying to say? We had anything to do with it? No one thinks you had anything to do with it. You're rabbis. No one thinks you killed anybody. What are you doing? So I'll tell you what Rashi, based on the Gemara, says. Is that the leaders in the town know that there's very, it's very likely that we are responsible. How are you responsible? Maybe this man came to our town. And when he left, we didn't escort him out of the town. And maybe we didn't give him some food to eat on the way out. And because of that, maybe we didn't protect him as he's going out to the woods. And so therefore, maybe we're responsible. And so we feel some responsibility. So the leaders with all the people in the city gather to do this performance to say, you know what, we didn't even do that. We did not because we're worried about it. We didn't do it. And they cracked the neck of this young calf to say, you know what just happened when this man passed away? You know what just happened? Is that now this person won't be alive anymore. Won't have children. Just like a young calf has no children yet. He doesn't have any, he's not gonna have any children. He's not gonna have any grandchildren. He's not gonna have any great grandchildren. This man, we now snuffed this life out. And they go to a brook because the brook has running water. You can't grow under running water. Look how this man's life is gone. I wanna try to explain it to you even a little clearer. My son the other day was doing this cute little thing. I don't know why he gets things in his head if you haven't noticed yet. So, he puts, goes on a table and he puts a stick. And I see this stick. Like, I said, what are you doing, Dad? He says, look, see this stick? This is one person. And then there's two sticks on top. That's that person's parents. Mother and father. On top of that, there's four sticks. That's the grandparents. Because, right, each mother and father, each have. On top of that, there's eight sticks. On top of that, in order to produce those eight sticks, there's 16 sticks. And then on top of that, there's 32 sticks. I said, wow, that's pretty sharp. So 32, 16, 8, 4, 2, 1. He says, Dad, you want to hear something interesting? He goes to the top row. He says, if you just get rid of one stick on that top row, that kid isn't born. True. Twelve. He doesn't just fight with bow and arrows. Pretty cute, right? So, and the truth is, you don't even realize it. You just see this whole pyramid, 32 people. You think it's what? One person's missing. The whole pyramid falls apart. And the same thing, we're sending this message. That man passed away. We could have been responsible for making for future generations to never produce. Because simply, we didn't 
walk the man outside of the city. What the rabbis, the message they're sending is, yes, we're responsible for even the smallest little thing. You don't even realize how far it can go. You fold the paper, it can reach the moon. Had Yosef altered one thing he did in the beginning, 250 years of Jewish history would have been changed. Had we maybe given this man a meal as he left the city, generations and generations and generations of people could have been produced. That's the law of Eglarufa. And that was the last law that Yaakov and Yosef learned together. When Yosef sent his brothers back in these wagons, it wasn't just that it has the same name, Egel, Egla, Egla, no. He sent them back in the wagons to send his father the message, Da, I know how to care now. I'm putting them in wagons, I'm putting them in the royal wagons. They're being taken care of, they're being protected. I learned my lesson. And I learned that, yes, the smallest thing matters. So when I escort them out of Egypt back to you, they're going to be in the royal wagons being taken care of, being protected, because I realize how big small can be. I want to give you a few examples of what I mean. Of how sometimes you don't even appreciate the smallest of things. I'll give you three examples. Number one, a few many years ago in Europe what people don't appreciate is that Europe was a very challenging place to religion in the early 1900s. Very challenging. Most young, intelligent boys went off the path. Most. There were few yeshivot. They talk about yeshivot in Europe and it's great in Europe. The yeshivot were unbelievable. But there were majority, vast majority of the boys that were going off that weren't interested anymore. There's one boy who tells the story, he says, when I was eight years old, I completed a Masechet of Mishnayot. And my mother, who didn't have any money, put on her Shabbat clothing and set the table for me and her just to celebrate my accomplishment. And he says, throughout my life, whenever I was tempted, and I was an intelligent kid, so they wanted me, and they were the ways of the Haskalah were after me, and they were trying to brainwash me, I kept remembering that moment. And that moment basically made me who I am. The red man's name was Rabbi Yitzchak Hutner. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but he's basically the Rosh Yeshiva of the Chaim Berlin Yeshiva. You heard of Chaim Berlin? He was the man there. Okay? Basically, his mother's meal with him and her. No one else was invited. Him and her and her Shabbat clothing to celebrate his small accomplishment changed basically Judaism in Brooklyn, New York a hundred years later. I'll give you another example. I read this story for a second. I said, I don't know what this guy wants. He tells the story. He says, I was once at a bus stop and a man passed by and told me, he says, by the way, the bus doesn't go to this stop anymore. So maybe go to a different bus stop. End of story. End of story. So the guy says, why am I trying to tell you this story? He says, imagine I'm sitting there for, waiting for the bus, and I'm waiting for the bus, 45 minutes. I get annoyed. I get frustrated. Then I get home, and I'm in a bad mood. He said, the man just stopping to tell me to go to the different bus stop basically saved my day. I'll give you a personal example. A few, a few weeks ago, I was... You know how it works in Brooklyn when you're trying to park? When you see headlights, you cheer. Because it means the person's getting out, right? So this is one night, 
Backup lights. So there's one night, I see the backup lights. So there I do, I double park, doesn't care if five people want to hit me, I'm staying there. So I double park, and I'm waiting for the guy to pull out. And he starts motioning to me like this, to go up ahead. I'm like, no shot, I'm staying here. And he keeps motioning again. I'm like, I don't know what you want from me. I am not moving. This is Avenue J. I'm not moving. He said he pushes me up again. I'm like, I don't care if I'm blocking you and you're going to get hit when you come out. I need that spot, buddy. I'm going there. He keeps pushing me up. Finally, I said, okay, let me go up. He pulls up. I go alongside his car. He rolls down his window. And I see he's a young religious boy. He said, I just want to tell you, the car that's in front of this spot has like a piece of metal sticking out of the back. And when you pull in, be careful, because it'll make a hole in your bumper when you park, so be careful with it. I felt like a nut. <laughs> but I, I said, why? You know, this man, by this small little gesture, took him an extra 45 seconds of his life, Small little gesture, basically, I mean, imagine I get a dent in my car, and now I have to go take it to a mechanic, ruin three days, I don't know how to do it, I have no money to pay for it, I'm not in the mood to do it. And then, little gesture, small thing, becomes unbelievable. So my first example was the rabbi, second example is the man with the car. Let me give you a third example. Last week, when I left this class... Someone came over to me and handed me an envelope. I'm not sure if how many of you are familiar with this envelope, but it was basically a gift from many of the women in this class. It's a little more than I expected. And I'm walking out and I, I said, you know, I, th- I appreciate so much everyone getting me that gift and however much it costs and whoever was involved in it. But I said, the truth is, I don't know if the people in this class appreciate how much I appreciate you. And I don't mean that to be, I'm serious. I say, you know, people tell me all the time, you know, your class, your class, or Joey's class, talk about it. But you know what the truth is? You don't have a class unless you have a lot of individual people who every week have to get a parking spot, which is a huge hassle, come find a seat. Sometimes people sitting on the back step, like today, and, and the effort that it takes, and I know what it is for a woman to figure out a schedule. Basically, you have to plan your whole Wednesday around to get to a class. It's not like it just happens. And to do it week in, week out, and so many of you are so consistent. I said, the truth is, if I could send a thank you card to every person in this class every week, I would. Because you don't have a class by maybe having a decent speech. You have a class by having... Individual after individual after individual who comes and who's dedicated, who tells other people about it, who brings some of their friends. When you go to the card club afterwards and you talk about the class, yes, that helps. I'm serious. And the truth is, you look around and you realize that there's so many, it's not, oh, there's just a lot of people. It's really many, many small individuals who are dedicated and committed to make this class. And I really mean it. Thank you for the gift. But much more so, thank you for your dedication. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Don't worry, I got enough. I don't need any more. Okay, I'm good. I'm good.
Uh, no, that I know. That I know. No, they could use. No, it's good. But the truth is, and you know, when you don't realize how a class and how things can build, it can be the smallest beginning, and it could be the smallest thing, and you fold the paper, and you fold the paper, you have no idea the impact. Had your, did Yosef have any idea when he was telling a few of his brothers a dream that happened to him, that the whole world would change for the next set two centuries and a half? Did Does the man who didn't escort the friend outside the city realize that he's snuffing out generations of future? And does, did that mother, when she made that little meal for her son, did she have any idea what she would be creating with that little meal with the Shabbat clothing? Or does the man, even in the small cases, know the impact he's having by just caring enough to stop me for 45 seconds? Or does a woman in this class know the kind of impact she's having by just saying a good word or telling a, a proper thing or just even coming and parking their car on a hectic day? Yosef gave his brothers a message. He said, I want you to understand something. This lesson that I just told you is not just for me. It's for my brothers too. And he told them when they were leaving, he said, I'll take your zuba, You know what? I don't want you to fight on the road. She says, he's not telling them that. He told them, I don't want you to decide a law on the road. And I don't want you to walk too fast. What's he trying to say? He says, you know, when you boys decided to sell me into slavery, you were out in the field, and you made your decision, you saw me coming, and in haste you said, let's kill him, no, let's throw him in a ditch, no, let's sell him. And you didn't sit, and you didn't focus, and you didn't think about the ramifications of what you're doing. What you were doing to our father, what you were doing to me, what you were doing to our family, and what you were doing to world history. So he says, next time you're on the road, don't make a decision on the road because it's too fast. And you don't appreciate the impact it can have. And so his message to them was, don't walk too fast and don't decide things so fast. Be more calm when you're making a decision because you don't realize how big small can be. I'll give you another little personal example. I, today... Do not have my cell phone. I haven't had my cell phone since 1 o'clock in the morning on Saturday night. It stopped recharging. No, no, no. Don't clap. I have no idea who's trying to reach me. I have no idea who I'm trying to reach. I don't even know if I'm here. I don't know. I've been using my house phone. I can't even believe I said that. Okay? People are texting my siblings. Is Joey alive? Is he there? You know how they do, you know, in AA, they do like alcohol. They're not like they count. I'm 117 days alcohol free. I am 84 hours without a cell phone. I'm starting to get the shakes. I'm not even, I'm serious. I can't, you know what happened? Just the, the thingy, the plug. Doesn't, isn't recharging, and my phone is old, so no one has the battery to, to replace it. I'm trying to get a new phone, but this holiday and this and that, it's, I can't, I can't believe you just, like, you dislodge that little thingy, 
and you send Joey Haber's life in total chaos. I have no idea. I really don't know. I might have 400 text messages on my phone. There's people that do not know if I'm still alive. I'm serious. Tell them I'm here still. Okay? But I'm serious. I don't... You, you, it's like the littlest thing that happened. And my whole week, people said, do you feel free to tell you the truth? No. I, I probably... I don't know where I am. I don't know what I am. I don't know. My brother got married. I wasn't even sure if I was invited. I don't even know if I belong here. I'm serious. I don't know if I have Sunday tonight. If I don't have Sunday tonight, someone may be getting married. Someone may be not living anymore. I have no idea. And the truth is, the truth is, but like it was the smallest little thing. I'm like, oh, it's not recharging. I didn't realize that that meant my whole week is done. That you know, The smallest things can have the greatest impact. How was our bad time Dash destroyed? You know how it was destroyed? You know the story. There was a man who invited someone to his party and accidentally the wrong person was invited. He tried to kick him out. The man didn't want to leave. Finally he kicked him out. He was embarrassed. He went and told the king. Basically one little mistake. Ripple effect. Fold the page 50 times. Destroy a bad time Dash. So Yosef and his brother Benjamin hugged and then they cried. You know why they cried? They cried because they realized that history will repeat itself. That the mistake that happened when we, when I was a boy, when I was 17 years old and my brothers and I, the small thing turned the whole world upside down, it's going to happen again. It's going to destroy the Beit dash, and it's going to destroy the second Beit dash. And there's little things that are going to blow up into unbelievably big things. And so that's why at that moment Yosef and his brother Benjamin cried. Because they cried, they realized that whatever we think we fixed it, it's not fixed. It's going to happen again. A small mistake is going to turn into a huge thing. He recognized again how big small can be. And that's why they hugged. They hugged to send a message that we're going to try in this moment to create some love to counteract that little hate. And try to create something to rebuild and something to show that no, we're not going to let it keep going. We're going to stop it right in its tracks. We're going to try to create Ahava in the place of Sinat Chinam. There's going to be Ahavat Chinam. We're going to just put a little love together. We're going to hug each other and show that maybe we can stem the tide. Anyone here got a grab bag on Hanukkah? Anyone here got anything you need? Come on, no shot. Yeah, you got? Okay, I got two grab bags. You want to hear my grab bags are? You want to hear my grab bags are? On one side, I wish I had a cell phone. On one side, I got a case that holds CDs. And inside was my CDs. <laughs> Why do I need my CDs? It's me. I, <laughs> On the other side, they found, they heard, you know, the class with the iPad. I need an iPad case. So the guy got me an iPad case. I'm so happy. I open it up, my face drops. A case for an iPad 2. I only have an iPad 1. And, and everyone, uh, come on. So basically I have a CD case and a case for an iPad too. That's what I got for my holiday. Isn't that great? Yeah? yeah? Uh, 
I got you. No, no, that, thank you. I got you. No, no, I don't need an iPod too. No, I'm good. I really don't. But why is grab bag a cute thing? Because there's a little bit. It's fun, maybe. Maybe amazing savings get supported. Why? What's good about it? Is that it creates for that moment a little bit of ahava, a little bit of. Wow, you know, you're trying to think of me. You actually thought about my class and the CD and you wrote a little poem and it was cute. And the other side, you really took the effort and you can't... That little love, it's a small thing. But sometimes that's the only connection you have to that cousin or that brother-in-law throughout the entire year. So that little thing makes a little impact where he says, you know what, he really does care, or he actually put a little effort, or he, he really did something for me. It's not the $10 or $20 or $30 they spent on it. It's not whether you use it or not. It's what that little thing can create. Again, you have no idea how big small can be. So Yosef tells his brothers, he says, Al ta'atzevu, don't get depressed and don't get angry. This is right after he reveals himself. He says, don't get depressed and don't get angry. So the commentaries say, what's he trying to say? He's basically trying to say the two emotions that you would expect these brothers to have right now when they're finding out that Yosef was taken, that Yosef is here, is either depressed and frustration within themselves over what we did, or is you're angry at somebody else for what they did. Yosef says, don't have those emotions. Because this is from Hashem. And this is the advice that I would have given myself when I was standing on that stage on Saturday night at 5 o'clock. Is, you know what? Don't get crazy. It's one guy. There's 700 people in the room. They all appreciate the speech. One person who's got a little distorted opinion... Don't get upset. Don't get angry. Don't say anything. Just, it's nothing. Don't sit and tell people and get justified so you make sure 30 people tell you it's great so you feel good to get out of it. No. Just don't say anything. It just, make it not happen. Don't fold the paper. If you don't fold it, it can't go to the moon. Just let it die. And that's what Yosef was telling his brothers. He says, the minute right now you found out I'm here and you want to react and you, you're not sure what to do and who to blame and who to kill or who to be... Just nothing. Just don't let it build. There's so many times in life that small things happen. Frustrating things, angering things, annoying things. The intelligent person just doesn't continue. You, the page folded once, now it's two pages. Don't fold it twice. Just let it go. Understand, and I'm going to tell you now in the next few minutes how to let it go. I'm going to give you a few thoughts on how to let it go. Number one is what Yosef told his brother. He told his brothers, and he uses the words in there, that don't be upset. God sent me. And then he says another time, he says, you didn't send me, only God sent me. He says the word Shalachani or sent me three times. Referring three times to the fact that God sent him. Our rabbis tell us that when Yosef was headed towards his brothers, 
when he was 17 and his father told him go out to the fields and find your brothers which eventually would cause him to be sold he actually got lost and there was a man who our rabbis tell us was the pasuk says there was a man our rabbis tell us was actually an angel who told Yosef go that way that's where they are and it says the word ish this man three times and so rabbis say, do you know why it says here that Hashem sent me three times? Because over there, God sent three angels to direct the way. You think it was you guys? It wasn't. Hashem sent it. Hashem, you think you built this whole thing? You didn't build it. Bore Olam did. And so when you understand, you see something happening, you see something, just realize the person who's doing it to you never did. That person didn't make the comment. Hashem wanted me to hear it. Maybe my head was getting bloated. God wanted me to calm down. I don't know. Or maybe I needed a little kapara at that moment. Who knows? Maybe a little ayin hara. I don't know what it was. I just know that Hashem sent it. Not that person. And the same thing is true when your kid frustrates you, when someone comments to you across the table, when somebody, when something happens that goes wrong, understand very clearly that it's from Him. And when you understand it's from Him, you'll let it die. And you won't let it build. And you won't let it keep going and going and going. Hashem sent it. Not that person. That's number one. Another thought is how about if you give whatever it is that happens. I gave you my example. You by now I hope have examples in your own head of things like this. Maybe someone at a Hanukkah party said something wrong to you. Or maybe someone didn't include you. Or maybe someone said something that was a little knocking or a little embarrassing. or Something like that. How about if before you reacted, you waited a little? How about if you wait 24 hours? I'll give you another example. The other day, Monday morning, I was going to shul with my son. So now, he was a little upset. I don't know, he had the pants that he wanted, had a little stain on it, he couldn't find it. We're trying to get out of the house, I'm running late. We finally show up to shul, where I'm the rabbi at the shul, I show up to the shul, and I realize we're like 10 minutes late. Now for a rabbi on a weekday minyan, to show up 10 minutes late, is pretty hype. So I start like putting on my talet in the hallway, and I realize where they're up to inside. And my son already starts praying, and I see someone come and go as if like it's over already. I said, you know what? I shouldn't stay. So I go into my car. And now I have to go pray someplace else. So I'm annoyed. So I start just letting my son have it. What are you doing? The pants, they look fine. Who cares? Had you already with these pants? You realize how late you made me? Everything I tell you not to do, I did. Okay? And I'm telling him I don't believe it. And what kind of... I, I'm going on and on. And now he started praying. So he can't say anything back. <laughs> so he's just sitting there. He's just sitting there. And he's just sitting there. So I said, you know what? Let me see. Now I know him. He has a little of my feistiness. He would react and get a little upset. So I said, let me see now. After we finish praying, what happens? After we finish praying, he forgot. And he didn't say a word to me about it. And I really let out my steam so I didn't care about it and the whole thing just went no place perfect it was so beautiful it just went nowhere you want to know what happens when something frustrating builds is when you build it 
The only way is if you let it keep going and keep going and keep going. Yosef said, Samani Elohim Adon God made me a master of the whole Egypt. He says, you know, God had a plan here. He wanted me to be the master of the entire Egypt. I'll give you one more quick thought in the story. I know we're a little overtime. We're getting used to this overtime. I apologize. But it's a nice story. I think it's a nice story. As I've actually got to the point now where I almost like criticism. See, so you say, how nuts can I be? And here's why I find usually is that when a person is angry at me and they come and tell me about it, nine times out of ten, if you handle it right, you could be better off than you started. Than you ever were. Because you show the person that you didn't really mean it, it was just a mistake, and I'm sad, and you know what, I understand what you're going through. And then you show them that you care about them even more than they care about you. Very often, you can take a small thing and make it an unbelievable thing. If you just twist it. So, that's what's happened. Usually someone will say, you know, this person is a little upset, you didn't like what you did. I say, please bring him to me. I want to talk to him. Why do you want to talk to him? I want to talk to him. Because if I talk to him, I can maybe adjust his thought process, make him see it differently, and see, and we can make it big the other way. We can make it something that all of a sudden he says, wow, I care and I love and I'm concerned, and we're connected. Yourself, and so those are my three little thoughts. Understand it's from God. Let it die and let it wait. Wait a day. Wait a day or two before you react. Sometimes you need to react, but wait a little. Don't just be sudden, because sometimes you realize that it's nothing. And number three is, sometimes embrace it, because you could build the greatest things out of it. Yourself understood that what created this catastrophe was small little things was what he said to his brothers, how they reacted, and so his advice to them was, don't get upset and don't get depressed. Don't talk and don't decide things on the way because you don't know how it can build. He sent a wagon to send a message that, look dad, now I'm protecting my brothers, and now I'm thinking about my brothers, and now I'm taking care of them. I learned the lesson of the Egla Arufa. I learned the lesson that you escort the man outside the city, because who knows what can, what, what can develop. And he hugged his brother Benjamin and he cried because he knew that history would repeat himself. And it would happen again that a little fight and a little argument would build and build until it would destroy Beta Mikdash's. And so he hugged his brother to try to fix that a little bit. To try to dissolve that little sana. And you have to try to do the same thing. As we have to make sure that there's so many people whose mind is full of little things. Of little, this person said this, and this one did this, and my mother-in-law doesn't like this, and my father doesn't like this, my sister doesn't do this, and the other one, and I'm upset about this, and I got a little dent here, and a little, and their life is full of little. If you're a person who sees big, you just let the little go. There's no time for little. You don't have patience, you have so much more to do than little. And I said to myself, when I walked up that stage, I said, you think I have time to sit and think about what this man said? I have a hundred things I have to worry about. I, I'm sorry, sir. Maybe you had something smart. Maybe it was a little good advice. But that's it. Just let it go. Just let it die. Don't build it. Don't keep folding that paper. Because if you keep folding it, you'll send it to the moon. There are so many families that are messed up just because one person kept folding. One last story and that's it. This was a man. Let's say his name was Chaim. He got married. And Chaim... And his wife were married for years and years and years without any children. And, I mean, the pain, unbelievable, of, of you know watching their friends 
give birth and a second child and deciding which school to send to and doing carpools. And here his wife is on the block, not included, left out 10 years. So finally, I mean, the pain was so intense. Chaim was not really the type to like go to rabbis and stuff. Someone told him, there's this Hasidic Rebbe, the Skalena Rebbe, go to him. People go to him for berachot and advice. Why don't you go to him? Okay. So he goes to this Rebbe and there's a whole long line. And Chaim is standing on line. He finally is in front of the Rebbe. The Rebbe says, this is what I tell you. He's the one where there's machloket and when there's strife, there's no blessing. He said, Rebbe, what are you talking about? He says, let me say it again. Where there's machloket, and when there's strife, there's no blessing. So Chaim's like, I, I didn't tell him anything about, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, Rabbi, let me tell you the story. He said, I got the story. Where there's machloket, there's no blessing. He walks out of the rabbi's office, like totally depressed, befuddled. Uh, what? What's he talking about? See, he's spending the whole night pacing back and forth. What, what machloket? I get along with everyone. I'm a friendly guy. I'm a nice person. Like, I'm not, I don't even know what he means. He's thinking, he's thinking, he's trying to think back one year, two years. Finally, thinks back to high school. In high school, he was one of those popular kids. And there was another popular kid named Yitzi. And the two of them, you know, you can't have two kings in one castle. And so basically, throughout the entire four years of high school, each guy had his crew, and had their, like, posse, and had their guys. And they would annoy each other and play pranks on each other and get under each other's skin and make fun of each other. And that was the whole four years of high school. At the graduation, Yitzhi came to me and said, I just want to tell you, Chaim, you made my last four years miserable and I don't forgive you. And Chaim said, doesn't matter because I don't forgive you either. The two of them, they graduated and never saw each other again. So Chaim says, that must be it. He calls the Rebbe back. He says, Rebbe, is that what you're referring to? The Rebbe says, I'm not a prophet. I have no idea what I'm referring to. I just know that when there's machloket, when there's strife, there's no blessing. Chaim says, I have to do something about this. He tries to figure out where Yitzhi lives. He starts making phone calls. He starts finding out, doing his research. He finds out that Yitzhi lives in L.A. He lives here in New York, Chaim. He lives in L.A. Call him no shot. I have to do something. He gets on a plane. JFK, and he flies to LA. He has no idea what he's going to say to this man. He's driving in the car. He's getting gets tape. Finally, gets to where Yitzi's house is supposed to be. He comes up to the front door. He says, "I don't even know what to say, but I know if I don't do it now, it's never going to happen." And so he stands in front of the door. He's shaking, and he starts to knock on the door. And now, this man must have like seen him through the hole because Yitzi opens the door and he says, what are you doing here? What are you doing? Get off of my property! Get out! He says, I- I'm sorry, I-, I-, I flew in from New York to talk to you. He says, I don't care! I don't care where you came from! I told you I never want to see you again in my life! Get off of my property! He says, but I you don't even know what to say. Ten years of pain. He falls to the ground and he just starts to starts to cry and he starts to try to explain through his tears. He says, you don't understand. I'm married for 10 years and I have no children and I just flew across the country just to ask you for forgiveness. And he keeps talking and he's waiting for Yitzhi's reaction. And Yitzhi doesn't say anything. And he looks up and he sees Yitzhi's face 
And yet he's also hysterical crying. He says, what? He says, I don't have any children either. The two of them hugged, embraced, and a year later, both had a child. Learn the lesson of the story of your sad. You have no idea how big small can be. Thank you.